0: Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.
1: Love and fear are diametrically opposed to each other. You can't love someone truly when you're operating out of fear right cuz then it just becomes how how can i get control and that's why i love someone so i can have control or power over or what can they do for me or you know how can i get mine um and and all those things are it's a fear based narrative versus love says i'm going to prefer the other and this isn't a competition against me against you or how can i win and you lose or you lose and i you know it it's it's together it's it's unifying and and so i think if we operate out of a place of love and and ultimately i believe And what the Bible says, God is love. And so, you know, a lot of times, especially if people, I have a good uh, mentor of mine, Jamie Winship, he's like, you know, people don't operate from a a faith perspective. That's great. I just say, instead of saying like, what would God do in this situation? I say, what would love do in this situation? Because it's the same thing in that sense. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the
2: Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at UnmistakableCreative.com.
3: Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard.
4: Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase.
6: Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number.
0: We go sell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.
1: Bain, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to uh, share some words in this time together.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It is my pleasure to have you here. So I found out about your story uh, because you wrote it and told me a bit about it. And I was immediately intrigued by the fact that you had played professional golf as somebody who has Always hated golf and only played once and was miserable, but we'll get to that. Uh, But before we get into that part of it, uh, I want to start by asking what uh, religious or spiritual beliefs were you brought up with and how have those shaped and impacted your life?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I grew up in a Christian home uh, in Kansas in the Midwest. Uh, my dad helped start the church I actually uh, grew up in. He was one of the elders and still is to this day. Um, and so faith and, and religion and um, spirituality has played a large role in my life from day one, really, uh, you know, being a baby in the church and then and still being a practicing Christian today. Um, so, you know, faith has shaped um, really how I see the world uh, my perspective on what daily interactions entail. And um, and it's been a journey, a, a huge personal journey as well. You know, I, while I, I was a, a young believer and, and Christian, um, I didn't always live that way. You know, I, I, I definitely experienced a lack of integrity in my life where I lived one way but said I was another way. You know, and so for about seven years of my life from high school into college, that was uh, that was true of me. Uh, and I think that was one of the most important lessons that I've learned in my entire life is that when that period of time when uh, my uh my hypocritical nature of of lack of integrity and in what I said I believed in what I actually did uh when that was exposed in college uh to my family and friends and people that knew me, and there's this deceit was brought up. Then it really was kind of a shaking and life defining moment for me, in the sense that now I need to decide who am I actually going to be and and who do I want to live as, and not just say that I live as. And um, I'm really grateful for that time because it's it's just it's really um, allowed me to live in much more alignment and attached to what I really believe to be true and what I really value in this world. And as, as we both know, and as anyone listening knows it, we all care way more about what people do than what they say, because words yeah. are cheap. This conversation is super cheap right now. Um, and if my life isn't backing up these words, then these words have no meaning. Um, yeah. And, and so I, I really learned that firsthand in a deep way and I'm super grateful for that. So the last, ever since that, that time in college, it's been a real uh, fulfilling journey to have much more integrity in the way I live. And obviously, you know, we all have uh, obstacles to living with integrity every day and we all yeah. fall short at times. So, I mean, we're all human in that. Uh, but but I, I can say that, man, knowing and, and following the way of Jesus has been the most life-giving thing that I've experienced for sure.
2: Yeah. So, you know, I I think the reason I started with that question was one, because I saw it on your about page and I was very intrigued by it because what I wonder, there's several questions that come from this for me as, as somebody who obviously is not Christian. I was you know raised Hindu, but I think throughout my life, I I have been skeptical of faith. I'm like, I can't, you know, like if I can't explain or understand something with logic, ration or science, I'm like, I don't, you know, I'm not buying it. And, you know, I wonder why you think it is that, people rebel against faith and why they find faith at different times in their lives. And also, you know, what misperceptions do you think somebody like me has of somebody like you who's very, you know, very devout? Because that the reason that question, it, when I saw that on the page, I was like, oh, I wonder, you know, was it this like rigid, strict, religious, almost cult-like Christian upbringing? Or, you know, did you have just a normal experimenting with drugs, partying like any normal teenager does experience?
1: Yeah, totally. Great questions. You know, the first um, the first thing to say is just that I, I think um, to your point, you know, we we all uh, are products of our upbringing and experience and culture, and and that's different for every single person. Um, and and I think empathy just says, you know, I haven't experienced that, and I want to learn from that. So I love I love these questions and, and how you're starting out there. Um, for my background, it was, um, it was a pretty strict, uh, upbringing in the sense that there was a lot of, uh, it's very fundamental based, uh, it's very biblical based. So based on the Bible and theology was always an important part of that. Um, and so I think from a, from a just human development standpoint, I think that that's a really good thing in the sense that, uh, in any skill or in any, um, development of any environment, whether it be a career or um, a perspective or, or the way we view the world, I think that having a time when we're really uh, learning the base fundamentals and ingraining them in our being is really helpful. So, for example, in golf, you know, and I, I actually wrote about this in one of my books about this path to mastery or individual excellence in any field. It's kind of like this this idea that. Uh, simplicity on the far side of complexity is what mastery entails ultimately. So from that, you get this idea that the path to it is simplicity, complexity, simplicity. And I think that's the process that we all go through in any realm, whether it be a career pursuit, athletic pursuit, or even a a faith pursuit in the sense that especially in faith, right? I, I was learning the fundamentals of what the Bible taught and what I believed God taught us through the Bible or, or the way of Jesus, you know? And, um, and so that there's a lot of like, um, hard learning in that of just putting in the reps of like, okay, this is what it means. I need to do this. And then it's not natural for me to do this, but I still need to do this. And I think similarly in golf, you know, I'm learning the fundamentals of this is how the swing looks and this is what this club does. And this is how it feels. And now you have to do it. 10,000 times so your body can do it automatically, you know? Um, so I think that fundamental learning the building blocks is a really important phase. And that's a lot of what I grew up in. I think the hard part is when people don't move through that stage, I think the hard Mm -hmm. part comes when you stay in this cycle, this kind of circular loop that just repeats itself. And I think that's where entrenchment and, um, uh blindness kind of can come in, right? Uh and so I was really grateful that in my journey, I, I really believe God brought me through that um into learning more of the complexity and the the vastness and the mystery. And then now the far side simplicity of you know individual excellence or mastery in my in my faith pursuit is yeah. living in that tension well of saying hey, I've learned a lot about what the Bible says and what I believe God says in the Bible and what Jesus practiced. And I've been, I've learned a ton of knowledge about that. Uh, but really knowledge doesn't necessarily lead to a benefit. A lot of times knowledge can be more crippling and it can be more blinding in, in time. So then what about the, what about the faith and the spirituality side of it and the experiential side of it that you can't necessarily learn in a textbook? Um, that comes from a relationship. And so that's been the more mysterious side. And then understanding there's things that I'll never be able to explain. Um, yeah. and, and while we all want to, while we all <laughs> love science and I, I love science, I love knowledge, I love learning. Uh, but even like the human body, you know, I think it's been, I, I had a, it, this is a long winded answer, but I had a, I had an injury in golf when I was playing professionally that repeated about five times the last year and a half. Of my career. And so for about a year and a half of my professional career, I was spending a lot of time trying to figure out and problem solve my own body. Um, And through that, I saw a lot of different practitioners and people that were in that space. And I quickly began to realize there's a big difference between prescriptive practitioners and intuitive practitioners, the ones that are really trying to listen to what the body's telling them versus the ones that say, here's the problem, I'm going to fix it. Um, because the body is so complex that, uh, and I think the point of all this to say is that the more that I learned about the body, the more I realized that our faith in doctors a lot of times or in people that are um, experts in the field is a bit outsized. Meaning we we believe if we if we aren't experienced in the field and myself included, a lot of times we believe they have the whole body figured out. But in reality, the science is based on scientific evidence, which is based on theories and studies, and all of those are a picture of the reality. And we still are learning so much about the body; like we have so much to learn about the human body still. And and it's many of it, many components of it is still a mystery, even though we've learned so much. So I think the whole point of that to say is that. Embracing the mystery is where I'm at in my faith journey, Um, and I've had to gone through the fundamental early stage of it to get there.
2: It's funny because um, you know, anytime I think about faith, like there's and not the best example to quote nowadays, but I remember you know in one of Bill Cosby's stand up comedies, he said you know he's like old people become religious because they want to make sure they get into heaven, Uh, and, and I've seen my parents become more devout as they've gotten older and. Uh, you know, like our agreement is, you know, I go to the temple on New Year's beyond that. They kind of, you know, let me do my own thing. And I I guess where I'm going with that is, you know, as somebody who is a Christian and who is, you know, devout as you are, when you see the sort of almost hypocrisy of somebody like an evangelical who basically calls somebody like the president who has like, you know, slept with porn stars, cheated on every wife, a man of faith. I mean, Mm -hmm. does that make you cringe? Like, eh, but more importantly, you know, the, you and I, I mean, you, you're not going to sit here in this conversation and say, "Oh, Trini, you need to convert to my religion," because you have an understanding that we each have our own beliefs, we each have our own viewpoints, and you're accepting of the your, you know, you're accepting of mine, and I'm accepting of yours. But then there's that extreme side where you, you know, and it's and I, you know, it's not just in Christianity. I mean, in every religion, you have mm-hmm. this like extremism where you know, even in Hindus, like there're stories of of Hindus killing Muslims because they were eating meat. Mm-hmm. Um you know, on, on some holiday in India. And that's, that's horrible. So I guess I, I, you know, I just kind of want to tee that up to you. Like what, when you see that as somebody who is of faith, like, what does that make you feel like, how do you, I feel like it's faith misinterpreted to the extreme.
1: Yeah. You know, it, you make some great points because really there's bad actors in every single field and group in, in all sectors. So like there's, bad cops right as we've been seeing there's bad examples of what a cop should be there's bad actors in the politics and it's hard to say there's there it's probably more bad actors than good actors in politics but that's another thing (laughs) you know there's bad actors in the medical field there's doctors that literally are just pill pushers making money off of getting people hooked on opiates you know there's bad actors in every field um so that's true in religion as well and and i think um for me when i see when i hear and see uh Examples of that, especially within Christianity, um, uh, I try to embrace empathy of saying, I wonder how they got there and trying to understand, like, I could be there, too, at some points. And I have been there at some points, meaning uh, when we uh, are on our journey and learning again, if we get stuck in the fundamentals and in um, certain components of what we're comfortable with or what we know or what we've been taught and brought up in you start taking that to more and more extremes because you're not moving, you're not com- continuing onward on your journey. You're just staying in the same place. And so a lot of times these people um, that that can make some outrageous claims at times, like what you brought up with Trump being a man of faith, right? And and I don't know, I, I can't speak for Trump, but what we all see from him, right? And this yeah, is seems, from the media, it's, it's hard to a imagine. a lot of conflict people. with faith, yeah. You know? It's hard to imagine that being true. Um, yeah. And, and I want to just be cautious that, look, I don't want to judge anyone from what I see online, right? Like, I, I think we already have enough division on yeah. what we're consuming, and they're all ninth, tenth hand information. And what matters to me is first hand information of, like, hey, we're in this conversation. You mean this? You know, we're through a screen, so it's not quite as first hand as I would like, but this is what I care about. This is like, real information that I'm learning from by human to human interaction, not by consuming virtual interactions. Um, that's a caveat. And all that to say is I think that, um, when it comes to, uh, people that, that would make that claim, I can understand um, how you justify that. I can understand how you get there because I've been in a similar place before in my life, right? Where I've said, well, this verse says this, which means I need to do this. But if we don't understand the, the context around that verse and what the intent was of the original author and what the heart of God or Jesus is and the stories that he shares and how that plays out in real life and what we don't know, uh, then it's not a complete picture. Um, and I think yeah. we camp out on the extremes because it's more comfortable and it's because what we know. And we have to embrace what we don't know in order to be more balanced and lead with love and lead with empathy and try to understand versus make judgments and statements of things that we really don't fully know.
2: Yeah. I I appreciate that perspective so much. And I I, like the keyword in that to me was context. And it's funny, you you mentioned an author and we're talking about an author in the case of God or, you know, in like, you know, whatever your spiritual belief is, but that's true for any author, whether it's a self-help person or even me on this podcast, like I always have to think about, you know, context. I think that the example, one of my really good mentors gave me, he said, look, he's like, you write about all these productivity strategies and all these things that you do. He said, when was the last time you actually set foot in a corporate office and had a job? He said, the people that you serve lead very different lives. And you have mm-hmm. to take that context into account when you do this. He's like, the productivity strategies that work for you or Tim Ferriss are going to be a disaster for a mother of two.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so good. You know, and we are all products of our personal experience. I, I, there's a quote Morgan Housel said, and I'm going to paraphrase it, but he basically says uh, that um, you are um, largely, your perspective is shaped over 80% of your perspective is shaped by your personal experience. Yet that personal experience makes up about zero point zero 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 one percent of what's happened in the world, you know? So it's just <laughs> like, you know, I love that. We got to just have everything with a grain of salt, you know? And, and to be honest, like the biggest testimony that I can give of my faith in God is the personal experience I've had with it. It's not yeah. quoting some Bible verse at you and, and telling you that this is what the book says and you better believe it or you're going to burn in hell, you know, in this <laughs> fear-based messaging. What I can tell you is like, look, my life's been changed by it and it's been for the better. Like it's way better than it would have been otherwise. And I want that for everyone. That's why I share that, you know? So it's not and I think that's the difference between fear and love, you know, and if we want to talk our, about operating systems and how we operate in the narratives is, you know, love and fear are diametrically opposed to each other. You can't love someone truly when you're operating out of fear, right? Because then it just becomes, how how can I get control? And that's why I love someone so I can have control or power over or what can they do for me or, you know, how can I get mine, um, and and all those things are it's a fear based narrative versus love says I'm going to prefer the other and this isn't a competition against me against you or how can I win and you lose or you lose and I you know it it's it's together it's it's unifying and and so I think if we operate out of a place of love and and ultimately I believe and what the Bible says God is love and so it, you know a lot of times especially if people I have a good uh, mentor of mine Jamie Winship he's like you know people don't operate from a, a faith perspective. That's great. I just say, instead of saying like, what would God do? And this is I say, what would love do in this situation? Cause it's the same thing in that sense. Wow.
2: Well, let's do this. Let's shift gears. I think that, uh, to me, I think there's such an interesting bridge here to build between, you know, faith and mastery. Um, like I, I remember looking at the video on your website. So tell me how golf starts in your life. And I think what I want to do is talk about the role that faith plays in the process of mastering something to the level that you have.
1: Mm, yeah. Well, golf started in my life at a young age. My dad uh, got me into it and we lived right across from one of the best golf courses in the country, Prairie Dunes Country Club. So that was um, an obviously advantage uh, advantageous situation. And, and I just enjoyed being out there with my dad and hanging out with him and um, starting at three or four and and had some natural talent to where Um, I I was gravitating towards it because I was pretty good at it and I really loved being with my dad and playing sports. I played a lot of sports. But as I grew up, golf became more of the focus. And I think partly uh, it was due to childish ignorance in the sense that I was so competitive and I hated losing so much that I, I gravitate towards golf because I thought I could control all the variables. I didn't have to depend on anyone else to win, you know? So yeah. <laughs> as a kid, that's great. But then you get older, and you're like, oh, yeah, that means I have to take ownership for all the negative results, too, and the failures. And there's way more of those than the successes. And, and weather, too, right? <laughs> uh, and weather and all the well, yeah crappy well, situations of plan.
2: Well, I think it's similar to people uh, who do board sports, as you know, as a snowboarder. I mean, I was mm-hmm. a kid who just was terrible at team sports. And, you know, part of why I loved surfing and snowboarding, I was like, look, I'm like if I'm performing horribly in the water or on the mountain, it doesn't affect anybody else's performance that day. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas in a team, if you're like the shitty player, you bring everybody
1: else down. Yeah, totally. Yeah, 100%. Um, and and I think that definitely influenced me as well, like you said. So, uh, you know, and, and as I kept playing, I I think, as you mentioned, like faith plays a role in all of that in the sense that you have to have the faith and belief that it's going to lead to something, right? That there's going to be, there's going to be something that awaits you that's desirable or that there's a journey towards. And, and, you know, my dad was always a bigger, believer in me than I was a lot of times he he would always say you know one day if you keep practicing maybe you'll be able to play on the tour one day you know and and as a kid I was like dad great yeah but that's like way far away I don't want to think about it cuz I don't want to get myself you know built up to have a huge letdown if I didn't make it so it was kind of funny how my dad I think had more faith in me than I did in myself and part of that was yeah. just the fear of failure I didn't want to be let down I didn't want to have my identity associated with a failure if I didn't accomplish that and so that fear really kept me from faith in in my own in my own abilities, in my own pursuit. Uh and but slowly but surely as I got into college and kept progressing and seeing um it stack up that this could be a good potential, that this is an option, uh yeah. I started to embrace that a little bit more.
2: So you know, I want to go back to something you said about, you know, basically setting yourself up for disappointment because I mean, the reality is, I mean, you know, this is a professional athlete, probably better than anybody. You're like, you know, a needle in a haystack. The probability that you'll accomplish what you have is low. Um, Everybody, and and, you know, how many people basically get drafted to the NFL out of like the thousands of students who play college football? I mean, I don't even know if it's thousands, but it's not a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've seen documentaries where people basically their whole life is built around this one identity or goal um and then they don't achieve it mm-hmm. and you know from what i understand particularly in, in places like football because i just had a, a former nfl player he's guest he's like it's incredibly disorienting because these people are escaping you know really difficult environments this is this was their path to a better life and suddenly it's no longer in front of them um so what i, I just want to hear your thoughts on that as somebody who has achieved at that level and then i want to actually start dissecting the process for how this happens
1: yeah well, um, just to, you know, also add in some detail there, I, I got to play about four years professionally, but I didn't make it to the PGA tour. So I didn't achieve my goal of playing at the top level. I was on developmental tours and overseas on the One Asia tour for a season. And then I had an injury that, um, derailed a lot of my progress there. But it, you know, in not accomplishing it, I, I faced that same challenge of, man, I am a failure, right? If I didn't, if I didn't reach my goal, then I am a failure. And I think, um, that challenge is, like you said, very disorienting and extremely um, scary for anyone to go through, especially athletes that make it to a high level um, and that come from a really hard place i I obviously came from what I like to say third base is where I was born, and so um, I just like to give that caveat that it's been a different experience for me and that I, I got blessed with more opportunity than most um, but but you know. I think this speaks to a really important point, And I love sharing a uh, perspective on it because the danger of this happens to all of us, whether you're an athlete or not, especially within as a creative or within our field, oh, yeah. we attach our identity to what we do instead of who we are. And that is the biggest difference in the world, because if what I do defines me and that is my identity, then success or failure is the most important thing in the world. If it doesn't, if it's detached from it, if who I am is different than my job title or the work that I do or the sport that I play or um, what my image is on the exterior, then then those things don't have as much hold over me and I don't have to be fearful of the failure that will inevitably be a part of the journey. And so, yeah. you know, I think that, that, and faith is a big part of helping in that. I think having a purpose that is greater than yourself is huge in in allowing us to understand that our identity as human beings is a collective, relational identity. The world doesn't revolve around you. It doesn't revolve around me or any human being. And so when we are one of a collective as humans, then we can start seeing our role as a part of that collective versus our own own identity being detached and on our own based on what we do. And I think that's a really freeing place to be.
4: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. Healthcare tri-term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.
5: Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now get 15% off your first order at burrow.com/acast. That's 15% off at burrow.com/acast. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over
0: 100 million socks, underwear and t-shirts to those facing homelessness.
6: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or
0: sleepnumber.com. Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go cell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.
2: Yeah. Talk to me about that period of, of you know, sort of recovering a sense of identity where, you know, this like sort of chapter of your life comes to an end and the rest of it is unwritten. Uh, you, what were the challenges that you were going through personally? Like, and you know, how did you pull out of them? How did you recover your sense of energy? how did you find, you know, what the next chapter is going to be?
1: Yeah, that's, it's a really hard season. You know, I think any, anybody who goes and we all go through that at times, um, you, you, we understand that, you're, you're feeling stripped of many things. You are feeling very vulnerable. You're feeling almost kind of naked and exposed, you know? And, and, and the hardest thing is like imagining what other people think. I think that's the biggest thing, right? We start saying, I wonder if everyone's going to think I'm a failure. I wonder how they're going to view me. If these were like wasted years, he didn't accomplish what he wanted to. And, um, and those narratives that we start spinning within ourselves, are the most, uh, destructive part of it, to be honest. Um, and that often keeps us stuck in those places for longer than we should be. Um, for me, it was, I, I had the, I had the benefit of, um, one taking, I I dedicated a couple months, honestly, to making the decision. So I had planned on three to four years and reevaluating with my team and investors. And so at that point it was kind of already a pre-planned reevaluation time. And I took a, co- a few months just to um, pray, meditate, think through it, reflect, talk to mentors and teammates and other um, people that I valued in my life to really decide what what is it? Is it golf or is it something else? And the question that really helped me and that I sat with was, who have I been created, equipped and called to be? Um, and I think I think it's a really powerful question for anyone in this time of in this type of situation or time in life to sit with, because it kind of entails threefold and uh, it's created is what are those natural talents or gifts that you were kind of born with that that's different maybe than your friends or other people you're around? What, and then cre- uh, equipped is what have your life experiences given you up to this point you know, that are unique to you that provide value and perspective that other people don't have? And called is really that passion or fire or motivation that just will not die within you of what you want to bring into the world. Um, and that can look like a million different things. But that question really helped me understand that I could be more effective outside the world of golf than within it based on the ways that I thought I had been designed and created and in, in my experiences up to that point. I was a really avid learner. I was really into communicating at this point, having a podcast going for a couple of years at that point um and just really excited about a much broader range of things than just the sport of golf um and and so that kind of directed my steps and you don't have to i the other encouragement I'd give and that I needed was you don't have to have it all figured out you just need to know the next step meaning a lot of times we know what one step ahead of us is But we think we need to know the 10th step before we take that first step. And that's just not true. We don't, we'll never know the 10th step. We find the 10th step out by taking the first nine steps to get there.
2: Yeah, well, it's funny because I'm writing a new piece titled The Skeptic's Guide to a Good Life, Mm. um, which is literally what my friend Joseph describes Unmistakable Creative as, you know, he's like, it's not just he's like, you don't settle for like inspirational rah-rah bullshit. Even if you, you know, find something inspiring, you'll drill somebody until you get to the root of it. But um, the the reason I brought that up is, you know, I had a section of it that, you know, I said, you know, life plans are like fortune cookies. Like you're not going to know what's inside of them until you crack them open. And even if you have the most detailed plan in the world the future is still unwritten. Mm
1: -hmm. That's really good. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. So
2: let's go back to this whole process of mastery, because I think that to me, it's funny. Like I said, my one experience with golf was like, I hated golf and I hated everything about it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, especially because the experience was, uh, you know, I had to go play with a boss. I hated at Apparently what was a really difficult course for somebody who'd never played someplace called Wente vineyards. And I get there, he didn't tell me that I needed a polo shirt. So I was like, great now I have to buy a $50 (laughs) shirt that I'm never going to wear again, spend my entire day with this asshole. And then, you know, I was thinking to myself, Uh, once we're on the like sixth hole, I should have gone to the spa with the women, um, instead. But, uh, that being said, I think that what does intrigue me is the actual process of it, because I feel like, you know, to your point, like there's gotta be so many transferable skills that come from the process of mastering, uh, Something like golf, I realize even now from writing books, I've learned a skill set that can be utilized for anything else in my life. And so when this starts, like at an early age, you know, you clearly have sort of a natural aptitude for it, but natural aptitude and mastery are, you know, the, the, there's a long road between those two things. Mm. Um, and not everybody who has natural aptitude necessarily achieves mastery with what they're doing. So, you know, particularly, I mean, one, at that age, did you understand that? mastery was going to be part of this because I look now at, you know, kids who are able to do things like, you know, watch YouTube, or if you're, you know, on your seventh grade basketball team, you can take Steph Curry's masterclass, you know, Mm -hmm. like I was never taught that I could actually get better at any of the sports that I played. So I just assumed, you know, fixed mindset that that's it. I'm stuck at this level. Uh, so, you know, I wonder one, Somebody at that age, did you understand what mastery really meant? Um, And then, of course, what did that look like in practice?
1: Mm, Yeah, really good question. Uh, first off I'm sorry about that experience that is horrible <laughs> I anybody would say that's horrible so you definitely have been scarred for life in the sport and it's a shame but I get it that's that's horrible <laughs> um, so for me you know as a kid you don't know what mastery entails I mean I, I may be a little different in today's time right with technology and the amount of information and connectivity that even at such a young age these kids are growing up with but no as a kid you all you know is at least that I remember I know, what I knew was, look, I'm pretty good at this. I really enjoy it because there's always a chance to get better and to compete. And I love being with my friends. And, um, you know, I, I ultimately love winning and I'm super competitive. And so I'm going to do whatever I can to try and win. Um, and And as you grow up as a kid, You're really growing into a new body, you know, every six months to a year. And as you're constantly in that process, it's kind of a fluid learning process where you're getting, you're readjusting to your body as it grows and to the game as you start hitting the ball further and further. And the game changes as you grow up. And so a lot of the time you move from like this tee box to that tee box and there's junior golf programs where you start at the short tees and then once you w- play well enough on that you graduate to the next tees and you graduate to the next T's. So there's little goals like that. I remember it was the coolest thing to try to graduate to the nine hole club. You start on like the three hole club and then if you play well, you get to the five hole and then the seven hole and then you get to the nine hole and then you can get to the nine hole white tees and that was the coolest thing. And so my goal was just to get the nine hole white tees. Um, and, and it's such a beautiful, innocent learning process. I think that, um, I, I think that just goes at a really healthy pace. I think today the danger is, uh, a lot of times, uh, families can get their kids started at such a young age and kind of pick for them what they're going to do yeah. and then pour tons of time and resources into it to make them the star that they always wish they would be and that just ruins, it ruins a child, a child's experience. I've seen people on the golf course with oh, kids practicing yeah. and parents are standing beside the green, watching them practice. And I'm just like, and the kid you can tell is visibly miserable. And I feel horrible. I, it's just not what the kids are made to experience within sports in my opinion.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah, you may have seen it that you, you probably know of this girl It's like a little Asian girl. And um, it was there's a documentary on, on Netflix called Trophy Parents or something like that. Mm. Uh and this girl was a golfer, and it was amazing um how much her dad would just like ride her. And mm. I don't remember her name, um, but she, you know, was kind of like a little prodigy. And I was just thinking like and she herself would get so frustrated at her own la- lack of performance. And you know, we had Dan Coyle here who wrote telling is overrated. And I was asking about this, like, so, you know, some of us probably like, you read a book like talent is overrated and you're like, damn it. I wish my parents had made me practice for 10,000 hours. So I would be like Mm world-class at whatever it is I, you know, I do. And and I realized like, he said, yeah, he's like, that's just not really a good model
1: in a lot of Mm -hmm. ways. No. Yeah. I love his work. And it's so true that, um, you know, if it's not coming from the kid, it's (laughs) themselves and it's not going to produce what's best for the kid, you know? Um, Because it it, especially at that age, it needs to be that comes from a joy and a passion that they have, you know, and and that's what's going to build them up for the next stage of when there is a little bit more on on the line. There's more at stake. Um, But if you start making that much at stake at that young of age, they're just not ready for it. it's the wrong part of the process.
2: Yeah. So the next part of the process, like I I remember one other word I very distinctly remembered from the the trailer that I saw of, of, you know, your golf game was precision. So let's talk about like how the skill actually goes from being this thing that you have this natural aptitude for to the kind of skill where you're able to play at the level that you did. Like, what does that actually look like day to day? Um, Because I I can tell you this is even, you know, as a musician who made all state band, it like the process of you know learning to play it's like you know when a kid learns to play a musical instrument mostly the first day they pick up the instrument they sound like they're sacrificing animals and you're Mm -hmm. like this kid is going to be a musician how
1: (laughs) yeah no it's a long process and especially with golf you know the learning curve is pretty steep because there's 14 clubs in a bag and um and each round takes you know Four to four to five hours, and um, and there's so many different types of shots to learn, and nuances in the game, and types of grass and how it affects it, and the, so the complexity is almost endless, right? To go back to that simplicity, complexity, simplicity model. So the early on simplicity phase of fundamentals is really again learning what each club does, um, what your swing feels like, and what what the what the different types of shots. You, the better fundamental of the game are. And then as you start getting in the, in the complexity phase, and I'd say in high school, you kind of start on that journey. You start understanding, um, the different elements surround external elements, like the environment, the wind, the weather, the, um, the grass, the, um, conditions and, and how it'll slightly influence. And a lot of times that, that is more ingrained in college and beyond, Uh, And then in high school, you also learn how to hit certain types of shots. So if you want to draw the ball, you move it from right to left in the air. You can do that on purpose, right? You can make the ball move a certain way. And so you can bend it um, in the air and and you learn how to do that. And usually you have one way you're better at and the other way you don't really do much. It's a draw or a fade, a hook or a slice or the bigger versions of it. Um, And, you know, there's so many so much complexity you're learning. Uh, so really the, the best piece of advice in that, that phase is just go with bite sized pieces. Don't try to learn it all at once. You got to go one bite at a time. Um, and so my high school coach did a great job. Shout out to Charlie Pierce because a lot of times high school coaches are, are more like, uh, you know, uh, parents or supervisors watching the kids. Um, but he did a great job of going an extra step, not, not 10 extra steps to make it, you know, kind of like boot camp, but enough to add value to where every tournament we played in, he would print off a sheet. And on the sheet would be each hole with a couple sentences breaking down the hole. And it would give just a little snippet of strategy. And as a high schooler, that was novel. You know, I I never really thought about strategy. I just hit the ball and tried to get it in the hole. But then you start yeah. saying, oh, there's some strategy. There's a way to play this hole that's best. And you can hit this club here versus this club, and that'll be better for the result. And, and that kind of started the deeper dive into what does course strategy look like, and how do I approach a golf course and each hole that can set myself up for success. Um, and, and then, you know, college is obviously another layer deeper, times probably 10, because then it's like, okay. Now I need to learn how to hit different types of shots. I need to learn to, to have these types of shots that I can pull off when needed. Maybe I need to be hitting this under a tree, or maybe I need to bend this a way that I don't normally bend it, like a slice. I normally hit a draw, so it's hard for me to hit a slice. So how do I, if I'm, a, I need to hit around a tree or a, an obstacle to get it to my destination, how do I bend it that way if I have to? Um, And then it's, and then really, once you start learning uh, a wide range of the skills, the main focus then kind of turns to and rests on the mind, the mental side. Because really, golf, once you develop enough um, aptitude for and, and skill in, you then have to work on your mind because your mind controls how your body performs those skills. And so you can have all the practice in the world, but if your mind can't execute when the pressure's on the most, then it won't matter. It won't matter how robot like you can be on the range. If when it comes down to that final hole and you have to pull off a shot and you can't do it, that's because your mind uh, is weak. And so the, the biggest um, deep dive that you have to take once you've gotten kind of past the complexities of the swing and the skill set is the mental discipline needed to perform at the highest level with the highest amount of pressure. Um, And that is one of the most uniquely challenging endeavors I've ever faced and probably will ever face because it's, it applies in all of life, just in sport like golf, you get immediate feedback in the moment of this equals this. Uh, And so you really see it firsthand a lot more.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, to me, it's funny because I can take this, as you're saying this in my mind, I'm thinking about the process of, you know, learning how to build a podcast and that you know, it's funny people are always like, what advice do you have for early podcasters, and I always say, edit your own interviews. Uh, and yeah. like, what? They're like, that's like the worst business advice ever. I'm like, it's terrible business advice. It's fantastic artistic advice. Yes. Um, because, you know, anybody who runs a business shouldn't be doing that. But, uh, you know, I think I edited the first 400 episodes of our show myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what that gave me was this sort of, you know, I had to go back and do ev- listen to every single thing I did mm-hmm. more than once. Uh, and it used to start sort of picking up things you wouldn't have otherwise. Whereas, you know, now I I hand it off to an audio editor and sometimes I think in a lot of ways, you know, like I still go back and I listen to everything to look for what I think I could have done better. Um, and you know, you just start to pick up subtle nuances. So let's say we're to take this framework that you gave and we're to apply it to some creative endeavor, like writing, whatever it is, like, how would we do that on, on a, you know, sort of generalized level? Cause we talked about it specifically in the context of golf, but I know that you help people do it in other areas as
1: well. Totally. Yeah. And I think it's a beautiful framework because it's so simple that it can be applied so broadly and we understand how that works. So let's take writing, for example, right? Um, so in writing, <clears throat> the, the way we start out with writing is by doing it. You, you, you know, you just learn like, Hey, okay, I learned the fundamentals of English or whatever language and I've, I've learned some grammar in school. Um, and I've learned how to write. Now I need to put in some reps to figure out like, what does this even look like now as an adult? Like, what does this mean if I'm trying to write for something and not just for a grade or a school project? What does it mean if I'm doing it for fun or what what does it mean if I'm doing it for journaling or what does it mean if I'm, I'm trying to actually write a book or a blog post. And, we learn then by doing it and by putting in the reps, you start getting those fundamentals of, okay, there needs to be some type of introduction. There needs to be some type of main point to it or thrust to it and then supporting arguments for it. And then their their illustrations help us bring this to life, you know, and then you need to wrap it up so that they can remember it in a way that they can take it with them. You know, so you learn like these simple things that are kind of true across the board. Um, and then you start diving into the complexity um, and I love to break it down this way, because when you get into complexity, um, you're learning a million things, right? You're learning so many different things and everyone has their own opinions. And so you're learning these, you're trying to get the the universal principles in a lot of ways, right? The things yeah. that apply to almost everyone in every space in the writing world and that writing mentors or coaches or people that are really good at it, authors are really good writers would give as advice. And you're like, okay, I want to soak all that up and learn it all but there comes a point in time when you have to move from universal principles to individual <laughs> principles
2: that's where i was going to go next you kind of you beat me to the chase so
1: well we're on the same page right we are tracking yeah. cuz this is what we both experienced and so yeah. when you and, and anybody who's you know gone on an endeavor whether it's sports creativity performance you name it they experience this right so that move that gap between universal and individual all depends on self awareness <laughs> that's
2: literally the subtitle of my skeptic's guide to a good life is 15 keys to higher self awareness.
1: Mm, beautiful. That, uh, well, I'm excited to read that. I think that'll be great. Um, you know, and, and self-awareness is, uh, doesn't happen by chance. And so, uh, we're usually forced into it and it always requires discipline, which is effort and intention. Um, and, and I think, uh, you know, I'm really passionate about self-awareness and discipline. Those are really the two things that I'm, I'm kind of, pushing the most, especially in my work and, and what I say. And, and self-awareness, just a, it's a buzzword right now. So I think a lot of people hear and like, okay, cool. Yeah, I'll try to get better at that. But what does that really mean? And, and I just <laughs> want to give a really simple process for it. Again, I think understanding a process helps us say, okay, I can actually do that. I can move forward in that. Um, and this is something that is not novel to me or new to me. But it's this idea that it's past, present, and future, right? It's retroactively, it's actively in the moment, it's proactively for what's to come. And, and the way I like to describe it is discovering yourself, understanding yourself, and then optimizing yourself. Ooh, um, I love that. <laughs> and, and that process... Is so simple, but intuitive and helpful in the sense that okay, where am I in the process, and where do I need to go in that? And again, we're going to repeat that process over and over again as we as we dive deeper and deeper into lo- layers of self awareness. Um, but but understanding the process really helps us. And then the other thing I, I like to give is three primary tools for helping with it, and the and these are not crazy anyways either. But uh, the first one is journaling and reflecting by just sitting with a pen and paper and thinking back on what happened helps us understand the situation and ourselves better. And we when we do that repeatedly, we really start to see a lot of symmetry and and um ways that we often operate. The second primary tool is feedback. By having someone else give you feedback like a coach or a friend or a mentor or a family member, they start infusing more objectivity into how you see yourself. We're always <laughs> inherently subjective, right? Yeah. And the third primary tool is meditation. Meditation helps us be present enough to to have an awareness of how we're feeling, where these thoughts are coming from, what's influencing them, so that we can then better optimize for the future. Um, And without creating space, we're always going to be bombarded and weighed down by the noise of the world. Um, and so with that process, that three step process and the three tools that are primary, there's other secondary tools for sure. And and yeah. by no means is that comprehensive, but that gives people a way to start on that journey of self-awareness.
2: So I, I am so thrilled that you brought up that, that in fact, now I'm going to have to steal that from you, the transition from universal to individual, because I was like trying to figure out how do I wrap this up? And now you gave it to me. But um, the the thing that, you know, what I I mean, this literally, I think, became the ethos of everything that I did was that. What I saw, particularly in in sort of the world of like, you know, personal development or online marketing was that people tended to get stuck at universal and mm-hmm. not account for the fact that they are the variable that throws off every single formula for success, mm-hmm. um, that you and I could go out and do the exact same things. I could do your golf training regimen to the letter, you know, and you could spend the next year with me. You'll kick my ass on the course no matter what, <laughs> um, you know. And that's the thing, like I could tell you everything I've learned about surfing, have you read my books, you paddle out with me in the water, I'm probably going to be better because I've had 10 years of experience on you. But one of the things that I I noticed over and over was, and this was like literally what led to the whole concept of Unmistakable was that, you know, I would watch somebody say, okay, you know, like this person is a life coach. So, you know what, I'm going to hire them to tell me what to do with my life. And the next thing you know, it's like, oh, you know what, I figured out I'm going to be a life coach. Um, that's, you know, it's the, the most absurd example of, of this happening at play. But I think what happens is you basically people confuse, um, modeling and mimicking. Mm. And so, and you see this a lot in online courses of any kind, right? Where some person will offer the course and be like, I did this, 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 and this, and that's how I got to where I'm at. And that's why I'm successful. And then everything that comes out of that course is literally just pale imitations of, you know, the predecessor. And I think we do that in a lot of areas. So like, I wonder, why do you think that people get stuck on the universal, but don't make manage to make the transition to the individual?
1: You know, this is beautiful because it ties into what we started with, right? Which was faith. And it's the same reason. It's the same reason we get stuck in the same cycle that we're in our faith journey, just as much as in our professional or in our recreational athletic journey is that it's more comfortable (laughs) <laughs> it's more comfortable. it's hey, here's a formula, and I can repeat it. Great, I can just coast. I'm good. Mm-hmm. I've figured it out. I don't have to worry, I don't have to work as hard anymore. I don't have to keep learning. I don't have to keep changing and and improving things. I can just set it and forget it, right? And so that is and I think at the end of the day as humans, we are inherently. Uh, inherently lazy, or we're going to always default to the path of least resistance. So if we don't make a choice, our default is going to be going downstream. And the only way we go upstream is by effort and intention. We have to say, I'm going to choose to go upstream. Now I have to put in the effort to do so, because it's not going to happen if I don't make an effort. Uh, and that discipline to go upstream, to keep progressing, to move through where we're at, to move from uh, mimicking to modeling, right? It, we have to put effort and intention into that. And I think at the end of the day, some of it's awareness, but a lot of it's just discipline. We, we don't have the discipline to keep moving forward through what we're learning to what's beyond that. Um, and again, the first step is always going to be mimicking, right? Like that's a good first step, but that's not the, the final step. We have to keep stepping if we're going to provide what the value we can bring and the unique giftings that we have that's different from anyone else. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think understanding that is a process and that first step isn't bad, but it's not the last step and, and the discipline to keep moving forward because the fruit that's to come is worth it. And life, I, I like to say that life is not a hot shower you know, (laughs) it's not, it's not some cozy comfort, hot shower to make you feel better about yourself. That's not life. We know that, right? Any human knows that life is not that way. Life is much more like a cold shower than it is a hot shower. Um, and there may be some times where you get a little hot water in there, but, but most of the time it's going to be a cold shower. Uh, and that's, that's honestly the, the number one tool I recommend. If you want to develop discipline practically daily, applicably start taking <laughs> cold showers. Yeah. It's something you do every single day, most likely, <laughs> hopefully. And, and there's nothing but positive effects of taking cold showers, but it's something that we all don't want to do. So there's no <laughs> better way to develop discipline than just taking cold showers.
2: Yeah, and I can tell you, I'm going to go shower right after this. I'm not taking a cold shower. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love um, it.
2: But the funny thing is, like as you were saying that, I just did you know this like sort of four part framework emerge in my mind, which was like mimicry, modeling, awareness, and mastery.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's really good. I think that's. Um, I think that's really good because what, what you see in that process of from mimicking to modeling is you're starting to synthesize some of that mimicking into a broader, uh, framework. And then by awareness, you start understanding your, um, what, what out of that model or framework or synthesis starts applying most directly to you. And that mastery, you know, the cool thing about mastery is that we never arrive at it. You know, we, 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 we keep reaching for it and for greater and greater versions of it. And so the cool thing about that is there's always, I, I think the quote, and this speaks to hope. I think there's a lot of hope in the fact that we can't arrive at mastery because uh, this quote I love says, forward progress is not a finished process. Mm. And, and the fact that it's not finished yet, the fact that we have room to grow, that we're not done yet, that we're still moving forward, that's such a hopeful thing. Um, and yeah. so this cycle, this pattern that you just mentioned that I thought was really beautiful, we, we keep going through that our whole lives.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, it's funny because like, I I realized like each one of those phases basically creates another level of awareness Mm -hmm. that you didn't have access to
5: before.
1: Totally. Yeah. And you know, I think the last thing to say on awareness that I I, think is important as well is that there is a dark side or a far side to awareness. And um, Timothy Wilson wrote a book stranger to our strangers to ourselves and he does a great job of kind of breaking us down through a lot of science and the studies that he's done in research and um, ultimately if, if we go too deep into self-awareness we start ending up in hyper awareness and this is mm-hmm. the dark side that that is actually more defeating than it is empowering and it really leads to inaction instead of action um, and so his whole point in the book at the end is saying look it's kind of weird to end a book on Um, self-awareness or or understanding yourself by the point of saying that you need to um, start acting and stop thinking as much. But the point is like, it's only as helpful to to pursue self-awareness as it helps you act like the person that you want to be, that you're ultimately living with integrity in that. Um, And that's, that's almost the extent to which it's helpful because a lot of times when we become hyper aware, and I've I've been there at times as well. You you are paralyzed and you can't make any action because you're so aware <laughs> of even the subconscious's role in over overcoming ninety five percent of what you do consciously. So it, it it's really it can be it can be a scary dark place.
2: Yeah. Wow. Well, I think that makes a really uh, beautiful place to wrap things up. So I have one final question for you, which is how we finish all of our interviews at the unmistakable creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable?
1: What I think it is that makes someone or somebody unmistakable is that they are uh, living a life of full integrity and that they're taking ownership and never settling. And, and I think that every single human has the ability to do that. Um, And then if we all chose to do that, uh, the world would be such a better place. Um, And we get a chance to do that daily, taking ownership of our thoughts, actions, behaviors, um, saying if it's to be, it's up to me, and and never settling for less than we're capable of. Uh, I think that's the greatest gift that we can experience and also bring and give into the world.
2: Mm, Amazing. Well, uh, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share your story and wisdom and insights with our listeners. This has been really, really cool. Uh, Where can people find out more about you, uh, your work, and everything that you're up to?
1: Well, thanks for having me on. Uh, I've just – I've really enjoyed this. You know, I just did give you a a shout-out. You know, I've done – Quite a few podcasts and podcast interviews. And um, I'm, as you know, it's, there's a, there's a big difference between people uh, like practitioners who are intuitive versus prescriptive and those prescriptive podcasts where they just give you the same questions just aren't um, as enjoyable to do or to listen to. So I just applaud you for uh, your craft and dedication and the amount of episodes you've done and. Um time you spent, it shows and it's it's fun to be a part of. So thank you. Um people you. can find me at uh thanemarcus.com. That's kind of my headquarters for all that I do. Um blogs and courses and books and all that can be found on there. So we'd love to have people connect and reach out if interested.
2: Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative
2: Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring? instructive, maybe even heartwarming. Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared.
5: Spin your passion into a business of Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.
0: Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel?